But think about this now. At that point in, in time, Jesus is, is getting ready to go to, to go to his last days. This is the last week. And uh, uh, we really basically are celebrating the beginning of Jesus' walk up the road, which is known as the triumphal entry, right? He comes, I mean, I'm sorry, he just came in, but he's getting to walk up the road toward the cross. This was the end, by the way, when, the, when Jesus is talking to these, uh, um, these, these Greek, or the Greeks are just kind of hanging out, and Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, hey, this is it. This is the time. He has already made his triumphal entry. He's already come into town, and I believe it's happening on the same day, but it may be the next day or whatever. I don't have to worry about that. But on that day, the, these Greeks come up. Greeks have never been able to approach Jesus before. Jesus has always said, I'm here for the Jews. I'm going for the Jews. This is why I'm here right now. That's my focus. But now the Greeks come. So that's why the Andrew and, um, and uh, Philip are not sure about what to do. And I like the way that Philip goes and gets Andrew because he's like, I'm not going to approach him on this one. You know, I'm not going alone on this one. And they go together, and they're bringing some people, as was their custom, really. Uh, the, the Andrew and Philip had this tendency to bring people to Jesus. They, uh, if every one of us would just be like Andrew and Philip, we would really be making a difference in the kingdom of God because we would be bringing people to Jesus. But I love this passage because it, it so much shows this, what happens with... Um, in the presence of Christ as he gets to that final phase. You know, the way Jesus operates with us. Have you ever noticed that whenever you pray, do you pray? How many of you pray? Just want to make sure. Are you with me? Are you with me? When, when we pray, what do we do? We ask God for something very specific. Either that or we're really kind of like, you know, we're kind of fuzzy with our prayers. And some of us do that too. But we ask for something very specific. But have you noticed that when we ask for that something very specific, how often Jesus or God, the Father, gives us something that we're not really expecting? He goes kind of a different direction with our prayer and with a response to our prayer. Have you ever prayed for something? Okay, God, show me in your word, and I need to know about this. What is your will in my life? And we go there, and we're looking in the Scripture, and God is not saying anything about what we were thinking about. Doesn't it seem like that here? The disciples, they come to Jesus, and they say to him, um, Lord, we, uh, uh, the, these Greeks, you know, they, they want to see you. Um, they want to see you. And his response is, uh, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, I'm sorry, chapter 12, John chapter 12. I know where I am. Do you know where I am? John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and I, I'm, I'm kind of, this part I'm not preaching on, but you've got to know this. You've got to have the context or this does not make sense. So I want, to, I just want you to understand the context. So these Greeks have come in, and, he, and, and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And, and Philip and Andrew went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Who... 
Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, I like this passage, sort of. But it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Greeks coming and saying, can I see Jesus? We want to see Jesus. But folks, today I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to understand something about Jesus is that Jesus is not going to be turned from the path that he's taking. You cannot manipulate Jesus. You cannot bribe Jesus. You cannot lead Jesus down a path he doesn't intend to go. And that's important for the for Philip and Andrew to understand that. But it's also important for the Greeks, who I believe are standing back in the background, listening and seeing this. They see Jesus. And now they're hearing Jesus. And they get their answer. You're not going to turn me from the path I'm on. Look what he goes to. (laughs) You see... First of all, Jesus never did anything without intentionality. He always knew what the Father was up to. And uh, his relationship with the Father was such that he could confidently say, and back in John chapter 8, I speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I, am, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that about your life? I always do the things that he pleases that pleases him. Listen carefully though to the words of Christ in, that goes on in the conversation and this is our passage for today. So in in verse 28 and no, 27 in verse 27 he says, "Now the Greeks have come. Think about it now, get the picture. The Greeks have come. Never happened before. The apostles come to him, say, "Hey, we, we, you want to see these these people want to see you." And this is Jesus' full response right now. He kind of gives that general thing about the dying, about loving this life or loving another life. And here's what he says. He says, now, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But, but, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, Notice his way of answering again. Who is this Son of Man? Here's his answer. The light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. I mean, excuse me, walk. While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, 
believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Father, we come before you. Lord, we want to be sons of light. We want to be those who follow you. We want to be those who see you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want want you to see the death that leads to the Father's glory. I want you to see that with your own spiritual eyes, not so much with your physical eyes. I I try to put myself in the shoes of those listening to Jesus. (laughs) If, If you're paying attention, if you're paying attention, he says, he, he, he just told those who want to serve him that they must follow him, right? If you want to serve me, you must follow me. If you want to be my disciples, you must follow me. And that seems simple enough, and it even seems to lead to honor. I like that. If you follow me, you're going you're to be honored. This will be an honorable position. But in verse 27, Jesus seems to go to a dark place. Not that the comments on loving life and losing life, dying and producing a crop were comments of sunshine and light. But he's gone further down. And Jesus, the Son of Man, the promised Messiah, is saying that his innermost being is troubled, disturbed, in a way that seems to stay with him. The disturbance isn't going away. That's the way the word is here. It is there, and it's constantly there. It's a part of him. He's troubled, and it's going on, and it's going to last, and who knows when it will end. My soul is troubled within me. And why should it? Why should it go away? He is facing the cruelest form of execution that any man has known. Perhaps ever. I don't know. Maybe some who created something worse, but when you hear the descriptions of it, it it's pretty, pretty much as cruel as it comes. We wouldn't allow that in our judicial system, would we? Now, we've got to be careful about that. Jesus' response to his troubled heart is more than resignation. You know, I can resign myself to some troubles I'm going through. Okay, yeah, well, okay, I'll put up with this. But Jesus kind of embraces it. He's embracing this trouble. It's not like, oh, I'm going to walk away from the trouble or I'm going to walk through the trouble, but I'm going to it because that is my destiny. That's where I'm supposed to go. And so he hangs on to it. This is why I came. All through the book of John, Jesus has been saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Have you noticed that? My hour has not yet come over and over again. Now he is saying, the hour has come. That's an ominous thought. His prayer thought, not necessarily voiced as a prayer, is, Father, save me from this hour. Have have, have you ever felt that way? (laughs) Lord, just just get me out of this. Just get me out of this. I've always wanted wanted God to take me out of my troubles. I don't really, really expect to have to go through them. But 
so he's thinking the same thing. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But he quickly pushes that thought out of the picture and, and, and says, but for this purpose, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is my whole plan. Like the psalmist of long ago in, in Psalm 42, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist picked up on that turmoil, and Jesus also is facing that turmoil. And actually, that psalm says it twice, in 5 and 11. But so, so, so his prayer becomes, Father glorify your name father glorify your name and throughout the book of john jesus consistently focused his attention and the attention of his followers toward the glory of the father he always wanted to glorify the father he always said everything i do is to glorify him everything i do is because he tells me to do it it's all about the father seeking the glory of another though requires humility can you imagine the king of kings, who is humble. He's humble. Can you imagine God come to earth, a humble man, and yet he's very much in that point, seeking only the glory of the Father. Sometimes it not only requires humility, but sometimes it requires suffering. If I want to glorify someone else, I cannot. I'm watching all these candidates kind of fall by the wayside in the political realm, you know. And and you listen to their uh, like resignation speech, whatever you call that, like I'm out of here speech. And it's and, and it's it's a struggle. Think about it. Men who have been pushing themselves forward and forward and forward, and all of a sudden they're having to say, uh, "It's not me. It's not me." And it's a humbling moment to say somebody else is going to get the glory this year. I don't know if it's a glory or not at this stage in the game, but maybe. Um, but Jesus says, is, is, is humbling himself. He's getting ready to face suffering. But God's answer, the Father's answer is, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The context in John seems to point back to the life of Christ. Think about it. John has always been writing to, to, uh, to highlight all those key points where Jesus is showing himself to be the Son of God. And so he looks back and he says, I have glorified it. Yes, look at this. I've glorified my name through your life. I've glorified it. And he says, and I will glorify it. Jesus is facing the cross. And you know what? He's as human as human can be at this point. And he's facing the cross. And he is getting some assurance, much needed assurance from God that I will glorify it. But the interesting thing is, it's not for him. It's not for him. In the middle of their confusion about the voice, Jesus explains what the purpose of the voice was because he knew this was going to happen. Jesus never was wrong. He knew this was going to happen, but he explains, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Even though they didn't understand the voice, God provided a Mount Sinai moment for those people who were present. So they would move toward belief. You remember Mount Sinai? You remember, you remember the, uh, the t- when the, the Israelites had, had e- escaped from Egypt and as they, uh, they, they were being delivered from Egypt and they came out and they came to, the, to Mount Sinai and they're going to, see, they're going to meet God. 
the God that delivered them. I mean, in my mind, they had already met him multiple times in all of the, the, the plagues that had come and their miraculous deliverance. But now they're coming out, of, out there and they come to the mountain and God begins to speak to them from the mountain. You remember their response? Nod your heads if you remember their response. Okay, just kind of curious. Um, well, if you didn't, let me, me remind you. Their response was, don't speak to us anymore, lest we die. And so God said, that was a good choice. Moses, you come on up. I'm going to talk to you and give you the message for the people. Jesus, right now, the Son of God is standing there, and they have come to a Mount Sinai experience. They hear a voice, and they don't understand it. They, they, they brought a sense of the miraculous, a sense that something was going on in the heavens, something they haven't seen in centuries. But they were confused. Was it an angel? Was it thunder? Had they paid close attention, they would have known. Even though they didn't understand the words, they would have known. Because they would have heard Jesus ask, Father, glorify your name. So they would know where that voice came from. Jesus explained not the source of the voice. Once again, he doesn't say where, who it is. He just says, but the purpose. The purpose of this voice is for your sake. Could it be for our sake, for your sake as well? I, I think so. I, I want you to see the judgment that ends Satan's rule. Look at verse um, 31. Down in 31, he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Hmm. In verse 27, Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. In verse 31, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He is announcing that at this event in history, something drastic is going to change. Jesus is bringing about the beginning of the end. That is, he is about to defeat the ruler of this world. The ruler or prince of the kingdom of the air, the god of this age, the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, the deceiver, the father of lies, the accuser, the roaring and devouring lion, the prince of this world, the evil one, the murderer, Satan, our true enemy, he's about to destroy. But Jesus previously said the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father what's happening here these people are seeing a judgment that's going to bring honor to christ which in turn gives honor and glory to the father that judgment was already being executed in individual situations in specific systems, particularly the religious system. You, you see Jesus kind of manipulating through life those three years. And he's, man, just about everything's falling apart in the religious system and the mindset of the Jews. Now, I love the, this, this passage, John 
really emphasizes this word now. Now the whole rebellious system under the cloud of Satan's rule is judged. The whole thing is now being judged. Jesus foresees the completion of his role as judge. The cross will be the final blow in, on, uh, to Satan's realm. And up to this point, the disciples had experienced multiple examples of momentary victory over evil, right? You see it, you know, in the deliverance, in the, the healings, and the uh, casting out of demons, and all of these activities. But it's just been the, the, the little things. Now Jesus announces the completion of his work. Satan will be cast out. Satan will be cast out. When? In this passage, it seems to be some immediacy in the judgment, doesn't it? it seems like it's going to happen now. Now! Now! I think of now as now, don't you? You know, so now it's going to happen. But still, how's your life? What's going on? I don't really want to hear it, by the way. <laughs> Sometimes I say that even when I'm talking to one-on-one. No, I don't want to hear it. Uh, I don't want to hear the problems. I don't want to hear the temptation. I don't want to hear the way that you're, you're falling through to temptation. But uh, we know there are some lingering effects of Satan's activity on earth. But ultimately, Satan is cast out of the earth and into the lake of fire. We know that. We know that. That's the promise. But in the meantime, my best understanding is that Satan cannot enter where he is not invited. Jesus vanquished Satan, so Satan cannot enter where he's not invited. Our problem? We invite him in. We invite him into our presence. We ask him, come on, oh yeah. We welcome so often temptation. Now, you may think, Tim, I don't like what you're saying. Well, I don't care whether you like what I'm saying or not. But, you know, it, I, I've long since got over that. Uh, not that I don't get nervous every time I'm going to preach. My wife can testify. Um, our, our problem really is not so much that we want to. It's, that we, it, it's, the, it's the habit we have, we have of choosing our ways over Christ's ways. See, when I, as soon as I choose my way, over Christ's ways, I have rejected the lordship of Christ in that moment of my life, and who becomes Lord? Now I've invited somebody else in. See, it's, it isn't me. It's that Satan takes advantage of my choices and leads me astray. So he still has some power, but not because God gives him power, but because we still allow it. God has already vanquished him. In Christ. Well, anyway, that's that's just some thoughts on that. But I want you to see to to experience actually the draw that leads from darkness to light, and that's probably the most important part of what I'm going to talk to you today about. Yes, I'm right on time. By the way, just want you to know that. Do not look at your watches. Do not check your phones. I'm I'm right on time. I know I'm right on time so far. Verse 32, picking up at verse 32, he says, And and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Oh. 
This is not the first time. Now, there's so much more here. I just, we'll, we'll get there. But this is not the first time Jesus mentioned being lifted up. If it was, it, wouldn't, it would be significant. But if, it, if he said it three times in the book of John, there must be something John is getting at there by making sure we see it. He told Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then in, the, in a discussion with the Jews, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, by the way, when it says he's discussing with the Jews, I mean Jewish leaders, that's what's going on here. These are the guys who are having trouble with Jesus. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. Two things happening here, right? Two, these two passages. The first, if, I be, if I'm lifted up, I'll be lifted up and so that people will believe. In this, this case, if I'm lifted up, you will know that I am He. If, in this case, it's a little more personal. You're going to lift me up. And then, sorry. Then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And in verse 32, he says right here in chapter 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Indisputably, all three passages refer to the lifting up of Jesus on the cross. So when Jesus is lifted up and put on the cross, there's something to be seen. An examination of each, of each reference helps us understand Jesus drawing people to himself. All people means literally all people. All right? And that sounds very uh, silly, but there's truth in that. All people. Now, there's a lot of attempts to try to explain this away, but all people are drawn to the cross. All people want to know, what is that thing? What's that about? What happened there? And so all people are drawn to that cross. They're drawing to Jesus on that cross. And, but, but what then? Not all people respond positively. I get so tired of coming to people and they talk about, I heard it yesterday, don't, God has a big tent. When I was telling him about the person that people had sampled Christianity but had turned back to their Hinduism, and the response was, well, God's tent is a big tent. And I'm like, my thought was, okay, it's a big tent in that it allows all people, and this is really clearly going back to the picture of the, of the Greeks who've shown up here, all peoples, every nation, every tribe, every tongue is going to be there. Yes, that's a big tent, but you know there's a real narrow door. There's a real narrow door. And we must not forget that narrow door. There's a way in that, that is only through Christ. I'm sorry, I'm just getting ahead of myself. 
in John 8, the hearers were to know the truth about who, who he was and what he did and uh, what the fa- that, that he did, what the Father told him to do. That was what they were going to find out because these Jewish leaders were troubled by that. Why do you keep doing these things? And he said, I'm doing them because God's telling me to. I'm doing it because God the Father says do it. I'm saying these things because God the Father says to say it. That's all I do. Jesus at times said, I, everything I say, I say because he says it. I don't say anything on my own initiative. I have said nothing on my own. It's kind of like saying, I'm not original. It's his. And in John 3, as the world becomes aware of the cross, the scripture says, some will believe. Some will believe. Those will have eternal life. Those who believe will have eternal life. We mustn't forget that. In John 12, the reference was to show how Jesus would die. The crowd took note and, uh, and understood this as a reference to his death. That always amazes me. You know, when I, if I be lifted up, I'm going to lift up. I'm going to be lifted up. And the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. And, and I would not think of the cross, and the, the cross, but they did. They said, and so they interpreted it as such. And we've been meeting <laughs> uh, Corey and, and uh, Olivia are here with us today. And hi, Corey. Um, and I, and I, was, I, I wrote this without thinking you were going to be here, but I, I was thinking about that study. Remember how we, we've, we talked and how, how much difficulty our little group, especially the new Christians in our group, has said, you know, why is it that they never get it? You know, they have, it's like they're going along and Jesus is teaching and doing something and they're like, they miss the point every time. Both the, 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 the lost people and those who were his disciples, you know, even the disciples are messing up. And, uh, and we always kind of notice that. And yet here, right there at the end, they, everybody in the crowd says, so wait a minute. We heard that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to live forever. And you're saying you're going to be lifted up. And they're picking up. You're going to die. Now, Peter, how many times said, no, you're not going to die. You know, and so they, there's this argument going on, even among the people following. They get it. This is so that you will understand this is a reference to his death. And we... we um, so once again, the Jews <laughs> miss this critical truth and question Jesus on who? Who is this son of man? Who is this son of man? Jesus, of course, doesn't answer that question. And he says, however, he, 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 is, he points them to something they've already got. The light is with you right now. You're worried about, you're trying to wrangle about words. We do that, don't we, guys? All of us theologians do that. We, we kind of really discuss words and talk about things and go into those little specifics. But here, Jesus says, he says, now let's don't do this word thing. Let's don't play the game of who is the Son of Man, all of that. He's been referring to him that, himself that way all the way through. They knew who, he, who the Son of Man was. They already knew it. What they don't like is what he's saying he's going to do as the Son of Man. That's what they don't like. They like him as the Son of Man at this point. But Jesus' answer is to point them to the light they have. You have a moment in time to understand. If you want to, you can get this. If you want to, you can choose this. Right now, you have some light. Walk in it. You have some light. Walk in it. You know, I, you know how it is when you get up in the middle of the night and you start stumbling around? 
and there's just a little bit of moonlight or maybe a little a street lamp uh, out and outside and it sheds light in one little area, what do you do? I go toward that because I don't like stubbed toes. Walk in the light. It may be a little light. It may not be much light. Walk in that light until you get somewhere. Jesus is basically saying that. I'm, he didn't tell him this, but I am the light. We've heard that already. I am the light of the world, right? He's saying, you got a little light? Walk in it. Folks, if you will begin now walking in the light that you have, you can know this Jesus. And you can know who the Son of Man is. And that Son of Man is dying on a cross. He's about to die on a cross. You're only going to have it for a little while. You know, the problem is we have the same problem in our lives too, don't we? Sometimes we're not sure. We have, we're asking questions we don't need to be asking. The light's not always going to be there. If you reject enough, that light's going away. Darkness will encroach on the little insight you have. I've seen it. I've seen people tell me, asking, please, would you, uh, you know, I don't believe what you're saying. I'm not sure I believe. I don't, don't believe in miracles. I don't believe there is a God and all of that. And I've, I've actually said, you know, what, do you, what will it take? They'll say, you know, if, if, if I see something, I'll know. If there's something happens, this will happen, then, then I'll believe. And I say, okay, I'll pray. I don't even have to know what that, that thing is. I'll pray. And if this happens, then you'll know, right? So I prayed. A week later, two weeks later, talked to him. Did it happen? Yes, it did. So what are you going to do? And here's the response that I remember so well. And this was a few years back, a number of years back. I'm getting older, but it's still the same number of years back in my mind. Um, no, I, I know the ball's in my court. And he mixed metaphors. He said, I know the ball's in my court. And I can either take the ball and run with it or I can punt. And I said, Yeah. That's right. What are you going to do? I'm going to punt. The little light was shining. He saw. He knew. He knew God had intervened and acted, and he chose to go his own way. I don't believe that man ever, I hate to say that, will ever come back if he's still alive today. Now, that may sound really harsh and cold, but, you know, while you have the light with you, while you have this little light, it's time to respond. If you're getting a little light from God and you're here today, I want to encourage you to go ahead, walk in it, get that start. When I came to faith in Christ, you know what? I didn't know. I didn't know all the details. I was, I was not a great theologian, okay? I was just a teenager, all right? I didn't know what I was doing exactly, but I knew there was enough light that said, you know, this is right and I need it. Now I know all the great theological things and it's still the right thing. It's the good light. And I got a little more light. Still, there's a lot of light I don't have. And I, I, there's a lot of things that, that theologians debate and I'm not going to worry about. But I do know this. I know Jesus and he set me free. That much I do know. And that's what he was telling them. And I think if the Jews and perhaps those few Greeks that were paying attention when the week was over, they would have plenty of evidence to believe as Jesus is nailed to the cross as he's dropped into the ground, and three days later he's risen. I think they have enough to believe. Are they going to do it? Some did, I think. The question, of course, at that point would be, would they still be walking in the light at the end of the week enough to see it? 
Or would they feel rejected at that time or feel like put out and walk away? Some of them might have already been walking in darkness. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Being drawn to Jesus at the cross is essential. But without belief, without faith, it is impossible to receive eternal life. I have to ask, I have to ask, what about you? What about you? Because I'm standing here telling you this, you have a little light, whether you like it or not. I've put a little light out here. Some of you here may not be in a position where you say, yeah, I'm, I'm in that. I'm following. Let me encourage you today to say, okay, this is my day. I'm going to do that. I'm going to step to the back. And during that time, if somebody would like to come talk with me about it, you can do that, and I can help you know how, what next steps you can take. We're going to go on with our worship, our celebration. We're kind of semi-informal here. Get up and talk with me at any point in time. Uh, believe me, everything we do <laughs> is to bring glory to God. That's what we do it for. This would be the most, thing, most, <laughs> most fruitful in terms of glorifying God if you turned from, really, the darkness to the light and that you were once finally able to see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you that you always fulfill what you promise. You always come through. Father, sometimes we say, ask questions or say things or think things that have nothing to do with the, the, the truth you're trying to get through to us. I pray that you would help us to kind of plow through that and then see you and understand and get more light. And I pray for the people here that they would respond to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.